Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 235 of the Canadian Football Countdown and proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. The 110th Grey Cup is just a couple days away with the Montreal Alouettes and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going head-to-head in Hamilton to take home the top prize of the season. Yes, the season is coming to an end. Championship game is here, and we're here today to break it all down, preview the matchups. We'll talk about how these teams got here, uh, break down the positional matchups, talk storylines, all that fun stuff. To do so, we've got uh, three of us here this evening. Mike is away sick, unfortunately, but I'm Ryan, joined as usual by Trey and Adam. Let's bring them on in here. Uh, Trey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. I want to ask Adam, does it make you feel any better seeing another team lose a game because of too many men? Or does it still? <laughs> the Buffalo Bills pulled the uh, 20, 2009 uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders Grey Cup special this week. I, I had to send a couple people that highlight link to that. Uh, I have a, some Bills fans and they're like, oh, that's what people were meaning on Twitter that the Rough Riders have done it first. So, And then he says, well... Great Cup's a lot worse than Week Ten. I was like, "Yeah, you're right. It is." But anyway, I'm doing I'm doing great. <laughs> Sad part is probably more people watch that Week Ten game than the Group Thousand and Nine Great Cup. Nevertheless, I'm doing okay. I mean, we have uh, I'm in the middle of two worlds right now, of course, with hockey season kind of getting underway here this weekend, and uh, worrying also about the Great Cup and trying to watch and go. And I eventually have to do some humble bragging though because. I'm still undefeated in uh, playoffs. Uh, nobody's beaten me yet. I uh, got me uh, making a wrong pick yet. Uh, we'll see how we do that later on this week here. But uh, yeah, Montreal, that was quite an upset, wasn't it? Who, who called that, I wonder? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, Never heard of that. Yeah. Two people called that on this show. I mean, not to get into it too far, but like we talked about last week on the show of of like nine different things that needed to go right for Montreal to win that football game. And like all nine of them happened. Like that was the exact, like the only way Montreal was going to advance. Actually, all nine and plus also a Montreal touchdown return from a kickoff. So, you know, that was just. Oh, yeah. And by all nine, I'm talking about the nine turnovers by the Argos. That too, yeah. Yeah, wild football game, a couple enticing football games uh, in the division finals. Leaves us with Winnipeg and Montreal in the Grey Cup here. We'll talk about it all throughout the evening here. We'll also take your comments and questions in our live chat throughout the night. Thanks to presenting sponsor GameTime TV, uh, which you can learn more about by visiting uh, GameTimeTV.ca or following on Facebook, Facebook.com slash GameTimeTVMB. Uh, send those comments, send those questions into our live chat throughout the night. I want to give a quick shout out here as well. One of our usual commenters, not in the chat tonight, but he is listening all the way from Costa Rica. Richard, shout out to you. Uh, we're international now, guys. This is, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, we could have been, if, if you're listening internationally, I mean, cool, sweet. Uh, shout out to you. Also, uh, Chris in the chat. Why you got to remind me of this stuff? Just why? <laughs> First they go after me with 09. Now they go after me with the quarterbacks. It, come on, man. Great. It's you don't the... know what I'm referring to also uh, for the podcast listeners. Uh, Chris put in there, what were the last two Ryder quarterbacks before Trevor Harris uh, was in the Ryderville? And it was Cody Fiorardo and Zach Caleros. 
And the guy before that, Vernon Adams. So, you know, been good. How's Jake Dolagawa doing, Adam? Uh, all right. Uh, before we go any further, we do want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Creek, Ojo Creek, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 Territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Cue the usual weekly shout out. Check out the Discord community. Uh, we've got uh, lots of great chatter going on there. As always, there's a link in the episode description. It is free to join. Uh, we'll have a live Great Cup game thread going there uh, and surely more discussion leading up to it as well, uh, as well as throughout the off season. Uh, and speaking of the off season, you know, we're rounding out the we're rounding out the 2023 season here on the podcast, but we've got a lot of fun stuff ahead on the schedule, including uh, Sunday night after the game, about an hour after the game ends, we will be live with our Grey Cup po- uh, post game show, uh, our live recap podcast there, and we'll break down whatever the end result ends up being of this game. Uh, and then after that, we'll be back on Wednesday night for our season wrap-up show. We'll take a look back maybe at some of our preseason predictions, talk about heading into the offseason, which teams we have our eye on, which players we have our eye on the most, uh, and all that fun stuff there. And then, uh, you know, regular podcast episodes, probably a few and far between over the holiday season a little bit, but... Uh, you know what, we'll put together a podcast year in review at the end of the year. I know I asked last week for clips of your favorite moments of the podcast from this season. We did get some in, uh, and if we get any more in as well, uh, we'll compile them all together for an end of year or early next year episode on that. But we also have some more fun off-season content planned on the uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, so if you're an audio feed listener, you might want to subscribe over there. Uh, Trey, you want to talk about uh, the idea you kind of came up with? Did I come up with this? I, I know I'm the ringleader of it now, but I don't remember who came up with it. But sounds like we're going to have a some some form of video game streaming. We'll probably do a couple games, right? But Madden will be the main focus. Adam might have to blow off the Xbox and get the farm simulator. What, what year do you have? Like 12? 21 or 23. Okay. Hey, you got the pretty new one then. That's not bad for, for that. So we'll uh, definitely see that how that goes so yeah we're coming we're, we're we're coming to the live stream business now like that's where all the money is like that's where all the money is nowadays on podcasts and stuff so i mean why talk cfl we just should be playing video games yeah, I just we'll, have, we'll have cfl talk mixed in and here and there throughout it as well but during the quiet news period you know what if you enjoy the content if you enjoy the the banter back and forth here we'll have some of that as well and we'll have some fun with it with uh yeah the cfc madden cast uh Trey is going to uh, to lead that. We're for episode one. We're picking which team we're taking over and, and bringing them to the promised land. And uh, you've got Adam and I and uh, Mike if he's free uh, in on the commentary. Trey is the coach, and uh, we're we're gonna help make some ownership decisions here and, and see what we can do. Yeah, feel free and feel free to put in the Discord because we've had some team. We're not. We're gonna have like a random pick team. We'll do the duck race, right? Oh yeah, of course we're doing the yeah, duck race. We'll pick some stupid ideas like, can we? Uh, what 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 would happen if Adams Browns, did, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't have season-ending surgery, or the Jets and Aaron Rodgers, or maybe Mike's Cowboys could actually win. You know, maybe we'll see. But it depends on what the Ducks say. 
the Cowboys <laughs> will never win. It don't matter what the Ducks say. I know. I, I'm really hoping that that Duck's going to win. I know it. <laughs> As Trey tanks the season, we have to consider oh. firing him. Yeah, uh, just, <laughs> just intentionally throw the ball away every play, just like Doc Prescott really does. Yeah, so that content probably won't be live. We'll probably record it, upload it, put it on the YouTube channel, but look forward to that throughout the off season as well. And we'll see. Just because I'm probably going to do a lot of cussing. <laughs> <laughs> Just so if I throw my controller, we can bleep it out. So if right, anybody has see. any suggestions of uh, noises to uh, blank out the tray uh, swears, let's put it in the Discord channel. No, and no air horns, guys. No air horns while I'm playing. <laughs> Yeah, air horns aren't allowed, right? They're not allowed at the Great Cup, so uh, they have been officially banned from the stadium. But let's start talking. Of course, we got to get to Grey Cup. We'll get to the Grey Cup, but it is also Grey Cup week with a number of different events going on. The CFL Awards show is in the, uh, I think, the next couple of days, maybe tomorrow. Uh, I know there's concerts Friday night and stuff. Uh, and one event that took place already was the annual State of the League address from Commissioner Randy Ambrosi touched on a number of different topics, uh, including expansion, the stat system, the playoff scheduling, uh, you name it. Uh, what was the most notable thing uh, for you guys that jumped out to you? Uh, Adam, let's go to you first. You know, I think it's uh, pretty interesting to see Randy talking about well, again, he's talked about it for so long already, the Halifax expansion. Uh, it sounds like it's pretty much, uh, how did he put it? Bait or uh, get caught or pull up the bait already for the expansion. I think he's starting to get to the point where either this got to happen or this doesn't happen. Uh, just by the sounds of it anyways, from what he made this sound like. Uh, I'll just take a quick little read of what exactly he said there. Fisher cut bait. Uh, desire to ten teams is as strong as ever, uh, but the quest is reaching a breaking point. So I think we're going to get an answer sooner rather than later, maybe finally on this. If it actually has some ownership, if it actually has some legs, uh, if it has some sea legs. Uh, anyways, uh, it's very interesting to see this happen. And I know there's a lot of people that would love a 10th team in the CFL. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see what happens with uh, Randy with that. So yeah. Um, I think that's going to be kind of defining his career as a CFL uh, uh, commissioner. So if he does get that 10th team, it'll define it. So Trey, what did you find interesting about the commissioner's address? Just a quick note. First of all, if you didn't get a chance to watch the address uh, going on, uh, Josh Smith from three down nation has a great article up on, up on their website that kind of recaps a lot of these talking points uh, and what Brody said there, uh, but Trey go for it. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things he touched on, but I guess the one, um, sorry, the one I liked is talking about, you know, how um, everything seems to go up and up. You know, Toronto, gate Toronto, 40% up. It says ratings for Argo games increased nearly 15%. That's pretty huge, and especially when they had, what, 25,000 for their East Finals or something like that, or 28,000, not too bad, you know, um, for them and, of course, increases in BC and Montreal, the three biggest markets, doing well. He didn't really talk about this, but I'm sure Winnipeg selling out the last five games is not, you know, or five games this year is not too bad either, including a play. I don't remember too many playoff games being sold out over the last few years here, Ryan. I mean, it's usually pretty cold. That December one wasn't. I think uh, they I, normally are. Are they? Because I always feel like it's pretty empty because everyone complains about going in the cold. 
I think they mostly are sold out usually in Winnipeg. It just said not very okay. many people. Some people just don't show up. But yeah. Maybe not. Maybe I mean, not. It's, it was but the same thing with like Saskatchewan in 2019. Fair. Like, we had a full – it was a sellout, but well, it was West Final sell, but it wasn't just nobody showed up because it was cold. No, that's fair. Um, but this one was full. <laughs> you know, probably the loudest game I've ever been to, everything. So I think that's pretty good for the league. And, um, you know, with a TV deal looming and American contracts coming up, that's a pretty good thing when the three biggest markets, uh, which calculate what – 90% of the Canadian population. Um, you know, that's pretty a big deal. Now, the, he, he mentioned a couple of things related to scheduling, and I think this is something we've all been talking about all season long that we would love to see, is that coming into next year when that schedule comes out, every team is going to play every other team at least twice, home and home, uh, in there. We had a lot of cases this season where Bowden go back to Calgary uh, with the Thai Cats was one of them. I think the Bombers and the Argos only played each other the once, uh, right, and things like that. Yeah, next season they're going to give us uh, what we wanted. You're going to get to see every team come into your stadium, and I think that's awesome. I think that's what we needed, uh, and that is my biggest positive takeaway from what he, he's seeing here because – there are so many interesting storylines that could happen there, and it's not like the NFL where, well, you can't play every team. You can make a schedule where you can play every team and play uh, in your uh, you know home and away series with them. He also talked about Saturday playoff games sticking around next season. They liked what they saw from those and seemingly the uh, foreseeable future. And talked a little bit on the note of expansion that uh, once they get that 10th team, they want to drop it back down to 19-week season. And perhaps that means getting to play the Great Cup a little bit earlier uh, in November even then as well. So I know we've had a lot of talk about the scheduling quirks we've seen so far. So what do you guys think about some of these things from uh, Ambrosie Trey? Oh, thank God everybody's playing each other twice, home and home for one. And, um... oh, Nice. We have an offer for promotion. Anyway, um, sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. Um, but yeah, the, with the Great Cup possibly with two extra or two less weeks, plus that they still have that thirty-day thing, right? That they could start the season earlier. I don't suggest starting the Great Cup first week of October, but I mean, it definitely makes things a lot more flexible um, when it comes to that. And a point in the article we we're talking about too. You know, it is it, it was kind of weird having a game on Remembrance Day, you know, um, and I know that's going to happen time to time. Um, it's not exactly a holiday, right? It's a, it's a little different. It's not quite like the NFL playing on Christmas um, and stuff like that or Thanksgiving. But, yeah, I, I like the scheduling things, and I think we need to start seeing each team twice. You don't need to see the East teams playing each other three or four times anymore. You know, they should be coming out everywhere. Adam? No, I agree. I like the scheduling part as well. Um I like also, um, you know, I, I got another question for you guys more than anything. Really, overall, what have you thought of Randy Ambrosi? He's been here now six years. He's indicated uh, during his uh, conference that he ain't going anywhere if the governors all kind of enjoy him. Uh, overall, what are you guys thinking of Randy Ambrosi? I mean, the scheduling part I love. I mean, I, I want to see that. I like the Saturday playoffs. He's done well with that, I think, although they said ratings were down a little bit. Uh but overall, in a in a kind of a thirty thousand foot view, what do you think of Randy Ambrosi now? Kind of maybe I know back in the day it was with the strikes and with the other things there was a little bit of uh, 
kind of worry in the CFL. I think he's doing not a bad job anymore. Uh, it's a couple little things, always a little bit of hiccups here or there. But overall, it was a pretty good year, I think. Uh, what do you guys think of Randy? Yeah, I there. it's hard for me to, like, some of the things, and I'll, I'll pivot to that in a moment and talk about the whole stats mishap uh, of this season. Like, things like that, are those on Ambrosi or is that on the board as a whole, right? Same thing with all the talk in the negotiations where it was like, oh, he's not talking out there. It's like, how much of this is his decision versus he's just the face of the board of governors and he's the one that people draw their hate towards because of that right so I, I don't know i have a hard time separating that i i think as a whole the the cfl administration there are some positives like the ones we've talked about there have also been some some big negatives in the last couple of years or initiatives they've been high on that have just fallen flat and kind of had clear ways they could have succeeded so i don't know i i, I have mixed opinions trey no he's I think he's he's in the middle, right? I wouldn't say he's the worst of all time by any means. Um, and he definitely out. Who was that guy? We had Jeffrey Ulrich or something for like yeah. a year of that, and then. But he's no Kohan, you know what I mean? He's no commish, right? He's somewhere in the middle. And even if you compare him to other commissioners right now, I mean, he's no Goodell. Um, I, it'd be funny if we boot him like Batman gets, you know, kind of thing. He's no Dana White, but you know, he gets stuff done as that well as he right. can. And you're right, you, you can't blame everything on him for the stats. But we, that's what we tend to do, right? So, I don't know. Could be worse. I, I think we could definitely be worse off. And he, I think he, he, I think I get the vibe he cares. This isn't just a paycheck for him. Like, yeah, I'm sure he's paid well, um, but this isn't just a paycheck for him, right? He was a player um, back in the day, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And then you know, he's passionate guy, Canadian. You know, so I, I, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, I think he wants the league to succeed, I think is the first thing. And you look at the attendance, I think that could be maybe a kind of a feather in his cap that he kind of solved, well, starting to solve the Toronto Argonaut issue or the uh, BC Lions issues. Uh, he got new ownership in there. They're pretty stable. Same thing in Montreal now. They've got pretty stable ownership. Uh, the league has done pretty good lately, and it has been under Ambrosi's uh, watch so I'm going to give him a little bit better of a grade usually than what we had over the years for some of the other commissioners. I'll be honest, Mark Cohan didn't do a lot. He was just a very popular guy. That's is what I always found. But like I said, uh, everybody loved Cohan. Yeah. But in another way, you don't really need to love your commissioner. You just need him to make the league commissioner a good thing. In all honesty, probably not. Probably because not. They want what the owners want what's best for themselves. Right. And he's yeah. got to kind of work that fine line between the league, what's best for the league, what's best for an owner, what's best for a player. He's kind of all in the middle of it. So really, if you don't like your commissioner, that's maybe not a bad thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, the CFL, all things considered, despite the stats debacle, had a great year in the, in the stadiums for some of these teams and the TV numbers. Like this is numbers wise, almost been one of the strongest years the CFL has had in the past decade. So that's encouraging after we got through the post pandemic, you know, the pandemic through seasons there. Uh, we got through, you know, the CBA disputes and the, the threats start the season due to that. We got through all that CFL XFL merger talk, which is basically dead because now it's the USFL's turn. Um, we're not going to get into that tonight. But for all the good things they've done and for all the times people claim this league is Bush League, 
I don't think there's anything more Bush League than what I've seen with the SAT system this year. Like the fact that they cut off the old system, said we're going to have the new system ready for the season, and end of year, it's still not a fully functional system. And at the State of the League address, the commissioner is coming out to go and say, yeah, we messed this up. And and it was, you know, his direct quote here in the Three Down Nation article was, there was never going to be a good time to launch this significant transformation uh, and said it wasn't a viable option to run both systems at the same time. Like, as somebody who works in software development, that is absolutely the wrong way to do a software project. You do not just say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take down the old stuff, but this will be functional a year from now. Like that just kind of cuts off all of your existing clientele, which is really the fans who got pretty upset with it. Now they did add stuff in over time throughout the season. They tried to prioritize, you know, once they had the debacle getting in what the, you know, the most important parts were, uh, which was good to see, but yeah, that, as good as this season was, that that to me was definitely an asterisk on this season of like, yeah, that was a debacle that should have never happened. And I don't know how it went this wrong. And as much as the commissioner says it was worth it because we're going to get better stats in the long run, I, I need to see what those stats packages look like to, to see if it was actually worth it. It was, yeah, it was... I still can't believe. Hopefully the stats work for the Grey Cup. If the stats don't work for the championship game. I mean, Ryan will Ryan will literally go down to Ottawa or Toronto and grab Randy and drag him through the stats. If the, stat, if the stats don't work, you guys are on your own for the Sunday night recap. I'm not showing up. <laughs> Fair enough. It'll be our most successful show yet. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that I think is a negative that came out of this review was that the uh, football operations cap seems like it's here to stay. Uh, they talked about that the concerns over the the expenditure expenditure there rising and, and wanting to limit that. What do you guys think? I, I think it hurts the league more than anything to keep that in place. Yeah, they must they must want it for some reason. I mean, is, is it to prevent like um, it's a Texas A and M? They fired their coach and they owe him seventy six million. Still, like I mean, I mean, no CFL team is going to do that, right? Because tech college money is insane. But is that what they're trying to protect? Because coaches' contracts get paid out. Well, Ambrosi you know, did say he, he. So he did say the fastest grow. It's the fastest growing expense category in the league. It was creating a lot of tension with the Players Association because they saw how much the, the coaches were getting paid versus the players getting paid. But I, I see that from one side, but at the same time isn't also having the best talent in the league, uh, which involves having the best coaching opportunities in the league, like lead to more revenue for the league and more revenue for the teams and the players in the long run. It just tells me the Players Association is way more powerful than the coaching one. You know, that's kind of what it tells me. Which I don't think there is any coaches. That's what I mean. Yeah, there probably isn't one. So, no, I I can, if you're going to put it that angle, yeah. But how many, honestly, how many people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to the Bomber game for Coach O'Shea. No, they're going to the Bomber game because of Caleros, Lawler, Oliveira, Willie Jefferson. I guess that's kind of the way they're heading, right? The only thing I look at it, though, is if you have a Michael Shea in each of the, in the, each of the teams, 
uh, first of all, boy, do they got a lot of uh, red-haired guys on the team. But secondly, <laughs> uh, you're going to have a lot better players and a lot better talent, and better talent means better plays, and better plays means more people in the crowd to watch those better plays. So yeah. I, that's the way I look at the CFL coaches cap. I know that the players are probably jealous because they see Chris Jones taking in $750,000, dollars or whatever he, he was getting from Saskatchewan before the cap. Uh, and but yet you got to remember that those guys there are there at their jobs are dependent on the players. Uh, so the players seen that they get don't get as much and they weren't happy about it, and I get it. But in another way, they're no guys making the money, so and they're no guys that are trying to make the plays and make the better plays. Uh, so it's very tough to say which way this would work better. I don't think there should be a cap because, again, you're losing talent to other places. You're rotating through coaches because you can't uh, do anything else. Or you're holding on to coaches, which you shouldn't be holding on to uh, because you have no choice. So they should make the flex of more flexible. And then maybe you could say otherwise, I think it needs to just go away. Yeah, because there are ways you can do that, but then not have it in a sense where it's like a team can't fire their coach who clearly, you know, they need a change, but they can't. Or they have to hire somebody to do both jobs because they can't fit it in. And then that guy doesn't do the job adequately. And then now what are you going to do? You fire him. Now you got don't have the money to bring in two more guys. You got to promote with from within, right? And so all of that, but on the player's side, I could see it as well if that is a concern financially for them. Like as we talk about, oh yeah, more talent, more fans, more money. That's a longer term growth when the average football career is only a couple of years. So if I'm a player now, do I care that, you know, 10 years from now, the revenue is going to be this high if I'm not going to be playing at that point and getting my cut of it? So here's my other idea for you. Why not uh, say that coaches contracts aren't guaranteed? Let's face it, if they have a terrible season and they're going to get fired, they don't have to pay up the rest of the contract. And you you keep the cap, but you go and you're allowed yeah. to fire a coach without guaranteeing a contract. I wonder if there's some union, because every coach's contract in every league is. You know what I mean? Like I said, college, $76 million. NFLs are, hockeys are. Everyone seems to be guaranteed, even in sports that aren't. So is there some form of union? Is there some legal legality we're not thinking of that, I don't know. All right, well, let's move on to talking about the Grey Cup, and let's start talking through how the teams got here. We'll start off with the Montreal Alouettes, uh, the East representative here, uh, finishing their season off at 11-7. and seven. Uh, They knock off the Argos in the big upset there in the East final, and they're off to the Grey Cup. Uh, going back to preseason, all three of us picked Montreal to finish last place in the East division. Although, Trey, I know you did put a preseason bet on them as the Grey Cup champs, despite ranking them yeah, right. last in the East. Oh, that's so. sitting juicy. I, I, uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be so hard on Sunday. <laughs> uh, so let's talk through it. I mean, we all had them as last place in the East coming into the year. Uh, what, what, what was the concern heading into the season? Adam, you got the Alouettes hat on uh, currently. Why? Why did you have them at the bottom uh, preseason and what's kind of changed over the season to get them here? Well, there's a couple things. I think it was mostly the player talent at first because uh, you suddenly heard that they were losing Trevor Harris to free agency because they didn't have no stable ownership. 
you knew all of a sudden that they were losing a guy like Eugene Lewis, who was gone at the beginning of the year. They lost Jake Weineke. They lost a bunch of players that they really shouldn't have uh, at the beginning of the year because of unstable ownership. All of a sudden, the ownership stabilized to bring in Cody Fajardo, which I don't know. Honestly, I would really love to know the insides and outs of the Montreal Law uh, office when they signed Cody Fajardo, if that was the guy they really wanted. Uh, but, hey, it worked out for them. They brought in Jason Moss as their head coach. Uh, again, everybody in Saskatchewan laughed and said, ha-ha, they brought Moss and Fajardo. They must be desperate. Uh, fools and yeah that uh, didn't really work well but you know what Montreal really had was some really good depth in uh, receivers uh, they did break in Greg Ellingson but didn't need to really I mean he wasn't much of a factor all season uh, but they got gained guys uh, Austin Mack came out of nowhere for the beginning of the season a little slower at the end of the year maybe because of injury but at the beginning of the year Austin Mack was just hot I mean Every week he was the guy that you picked in fantasy because he was the guy that you wanted. Uh, guys like Speaker and Jay, uh, Filippo came in later on in the season, had a very good season to end with it. And even in the East semifinal, Jake Hardy. When was the last time we talked about Jake Hardy on this show? Uh, gets a touchdown and causes mayhem at the last 33 seconds with uh, Chris Edwards over for the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. But... Um, I think the biggest change, though, and when they were kind of just average, kind of right in the middle of the road, they were winning some games, they were losing some games, and all of a sudden they bring in the uh, most outstanding defensive player from last year, Sean Lemon. Uh, that was a huge acquisition for the Alouettes. He's been absolutely terrorizing again this season after he came back. And then a bigger signing, I think, and the most important signing was Darnell Sankey. When Sankey came in, the Alouettes suddenly became one terrifying defense. Uh, so those are the two biggest signings, I think, and the biggest road when when you look at it, when everything started changing. When Sankey walked in that door, everything felt like, okay, this team might be doing something here. Uh, they're at least going to go and try to fight against Toronto, and we'll see what happens. And, hey, it's only one game in the East Final. It's not a best of seven. They ended up winning against Chad Kelly and the Argonauts. Nine interceptions and that was the uh ticket that they needed to go back to Hamilton. Trey, Trey what about you? You were you were up and down, obviously, preseason, oh, uh champs was. and the basement. So uh how did that kind of your perception of them change throughout the year? You know, yeah, just perception from the beginning was all just that ownership and free agency fiasco, right? When they didn't even have an owner to do free agency, but apparently maybe teams should do that more often if it's going to get you to the great cup, right? But yeah, it just was a slow process. But, you know, an 18-game season, that's grueling in football, right? You know, NFL's not even quite there. College is not there. These spring leads aren't there. 18 games is a lot of time. And we always say it starts at Labor Day, right? And when did the Montreal Alouettes get hot? Right around Labor Day or just after. Because since they add, I got some stats here for you. Since they added Darnell Sankey, they actually are 7-1 and one, um, at that time. Which I get, did you really, I didn't even realize that. You know, Montreal was a good team, but everyone was so high on Toronto over the last couple months and this and that. A seven. Normally, would we not think a 7-1 and one team going into the playoff or going into the Grey Cup probably has a pretty good shot of winning because, Winnipeg's only six and two in their last eight. So, you know, if you're going to keep records of lately and um, Montreal's only loss was to Montreal or sorry, it was to Toronto. 
Um, and Winnipeg lost to Saskatchewan. Where are they? And Hamilton, where are they? You know, so if you want to look at that. So I really like Montreal and how they came. Sankey, Lemon, their defense is unreal. Fajardo, I want to see more out of. But I've been saying that for a while. Um, yeah, that's my Montreal two cents. Yeah, you mentioned that's interesting. Montreal seven and one down the stretch. Uh, yeah, I'm in a row. Yeah, I'm in that camp that I didn't realize that at the time either, right? Because all of the talk, like, yeah, all the talk was that Montreal is the second best team in the East and the fourth best team in the CFL. That's been the story all season long, right? And it, and it hasn't been up for debate. And if you actually look back at their schedule this season, started the started the year two and zero, looking good. Then three straight losses because they played Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto all all in a row. Then four straight wins. Then three straight loss, four straight losses because they played Winnipeg, BC, Toronto, Toronto all in a row. Then they got finished playing the teams ahead of them in the standings, and they won everything the rest of the way. So this was a team that was uh, they basically didn't trade wins and losses. It was up and down and up and down uh, in, in longer stretches throughout the season. And I think you guys touched on those additions that were the biggest part. Yeah, bring in being able to bring Sean Levin and Darnell Sankey in midseason is massive. Like we always talk about the NFL cuts, uh, like who comes back, uh, you know, after Labor Day kind of. I feel like we didn't get too many of those this year, but it was Lemon that was let go by the BC Lions after they signed him at training camp. And it was Sankey coming back from, I believe it was the XFL uh, that were massive additions for this team that was really carried by its defense all season long. And I, I, I think if, if coordinators could be nominees for coach of the year, I think you have to put Noel Thorpe in consideration because he has put together a massive, masterful defensive team so far this year. Uh, yeah, he had some, you know, they struggled in some games against those top tier teams, but when it mattered most last week against the Argos, they shut it down. They won that game and blew out the Argos, the best team in the CFL in the East final. Not because the offense got anything done. It's because the defense forced nine turnovers uh, and scored two defensive touchdowns in there. So a great defense. I I was up. I was in the middle on their defense preseason. The reason I had them ranked fourth was the wide receiver core, I think, like Adam talked about there and some of the unknowns with the offensive game plan as well uh, based on all of that. But like you you called out some of those guys that stepped up this season. They've got some good young pieces. And more than anything, I'm excited to see what the following years look like for this Alouette squad, right? Because, I don't know, are you bringing a guy like Ellingson back in next year if he didn't play much this year? No, you're probably going to try to roll with, you know, Sneed, Speaker, Mac, like guys like that who uh, have a bright future ahead of them in this league. So, yeah, dicey offseason left us all down on Montreal. It's been up and down all season. Uh, and now, now they're here in the dance, and kudos to them. You know, they beat the teams they needed to to get to where they are is the, the safest way to sum it up, right? They didn't win the games that were going to be tough for them to win necessarily, but they won the ones they absolutely needed to. Um, anything else on Montreal's trajectory to get here that you guys want to talk about? Or should we flip over to the Bombers? You are... I don't think there's much to say about the uh, Montreal... Uh, left to say about the uh, Montreal Alouettes. I mean, they they turned it on when they needed to. They are a team of opportunity. 
they seem to win those games that uh, they need to win and keep on going. So, yeah, look, like last weekend, to be honest, I mean, I think uh, Rod Peterson went and said it there uh, ain't no chance and kind of pretty much a snowball's chance in heck that Montreal is going to win this game. I uh, And all of a sudden they did it. So good on them. Hope they carry it on and we'll see what they do against the bomb uh, against the bombers. And I guess, you know, just talking about the performance a little bit in that East final as well, because that was the big blocker that we knew they were going to hit for the past six, seven weeks. We knew that it was going to come down to that game for them. The interception, the pick six by Marc Antoine Decroix early in the game, the Argos on the, I think of the first drive driving to score in the red zone, pick six all the way back to the other end zone. I think that set the tone for the entire game. Now, the story came out today, and John Hodge, Three Down Nation, reporting it, that Chad Kelly actually suffered a concussion in the in the East Final, which, you know, maybe explains some of the performance in there, but that defense just did not let up from the get-go and put the offense in the position to, to go out and win that game. And, and kudos to them on that performance. One quick thing also on that game there. We seen at the end of the game, Chad Kelly, I know he was upset about it, and I do got to bring it up. He didn't go shake hands with uh, Cody Fajardo. He was upset, he said, and I don't want to – he was he was angry about it, so he didn't shake hands with anybody. You think that's appropriate, or do you guys think whatever, it's emotions or – not a concussion, I don't care anymore. Before that, I was a little like whatever, but if he actually has a concussion and he needs to go – seek some form of medical attention now why why was he playing for three and a half court or whenever yeah. long that's another discussion but if he if he knows something's not right i have no problem with him leaving uh we had this with tom brady he lost to and i'm not comparing kelly to brady by any means but there was a couple of games brady leaves the field early i almost think it's cruel forcing the handshakes at some time i get it that it's a gentleman thing to do but i've lost some games at curling and you got to shake the loser's hand that you just, you know, the guy, the lucky asshole that just keeps making these triple takeouts and he's drunk as hell. And then you got to shake his hand after like, I don't know. I played slow pitch where there's guys, you don't want to shake their hand. I get it. It's, it's emotional. Should he have done it? Yes. If he's needing medical attention, get, get off the field. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he talked about in his interview today as well uh, about how the reason he did it wasn't, meant to be poor sportsmanship it was just that he really was not feeling well from the after effects of the concussion and he wasn't feeling well enough to basically go shake hands and and chat with any of these guys and I got to respect that there I mean it looks bad in the moment but seeing that explanation I think explains why his play was so drastically different in that game uh and you know why maybe he didn't want to stick around shake hands after the game And, and again how if it did happen in the first quarter how does he play three more quarters like that, especially when you could see something was off with him, right? I get I, I get that he's your, your star quarterback. He gives you the best chance to win the game. But he himself said, I feel like he said something like he, he didn't even really know what was going on with some of the play calls uh, because it was all foggy. So, like, at that point, take yourself out of the game. Well, man, that's tough I, to say. I don't think it, it, you can't put it on him. There, no, oh, I, I mean, sorry, like yeah. the spot, like yeah. everybody. Yeah. Well, the spotter should have taken him out. But, like, I mean, yeah. how, like, how many times did Caleros get taken out this year from that spotter? At least a couple times. But, of course, that's a regular season game. Can you imagine how mad that 40,000 or 35,000 would have been 
if Caleros got taken out last week. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a tough thing. I know it's a different sport, but I watch a lot of UFC, and they do the same thing when a guy is not – he gets his bell rung. It's all on their ref and their decision, and you, you're going to get crap if you call it early, and you're going to get crap if you don't call it right. And then in a big high tense situation, like – now, I have a quick question. I know we want to drag on, and we'll maybe a little tease for what we talk about next year. Do you forgive his one game now knowing – like, you know, when we're doing our – when we're thinking our uh, preseason rankings next year – are you going to remember this game still? Or are you going to kind of decide to wipe it off for him? Chad Kelly is still the number one future quarterback in the CFL to me. And Chad there's Kelly. no question about it. Yeah. Like, I think he proved it this season. Okay. So I'm not that I, You know what? I never was a big, huge Chad Kelly fan, but he is a good quarterback. Uh, very good quarterback indeed. And he did bring, take a team to a 16-2 and two season. That's undeniable. So he is probably, you're right, still the number one quarterback in the league. Uh, pretty well by far. I mean, there ain't anybody else that's really going to touch him. Maybe Jake Dolagala. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was waiting to see if anybody was paying attention to what I'm saying. Uh, but no, honestly, uh, he, this is one game. He had a concussion. Uh, he should have been pulled probably after the first, after that one big rocking hit in the first quarter and been checked. But. Again, I don't know. That's weird. I can't wait for our recap, our year recap show because I'm just gonna sit there when we talk about our preseason predictions. (laughs) I'm gonna love it. Now that being said, yes, that had an effect on the outcome of this game, but I don't think it's fair to like. I don't take that away from the Alouettes. I think even if Kelly's playing at his top game with the defense playing as well as it did. You know, Montreal won by 21. It's a lot. It's going to be a lot closer, but I, I still think they played very well in that game, enough that they probably would have gone on to win it, uh, playing the way they did there. So Montreal absolutely deserves their spot in the Grey Cup, uh, and a very impressive season for them. Much better than I expected coming into the year. Let's flip it over and talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, side here. They go and finish first in the West Division at, uh, what was their final record on the year? 14-4. Uh, and four. Uh, They beat BC in the West final to go off to their fourth consecutive Grey Cup. Zach Caleros, what is he, the first quarterback ever to play in four consecutive Grey Cups? Uh, which is pretty insane. Um, preseason predictions for the West Division. Adam, you had Winnipeg at number two. I had Winnipeg at number one. Trey, famously, no better than 7 11 uh, and 11. Uh, fourth place in the West. That's coming next the- year. It's coming next year. For the Bombers, let's start with you here. Uh, you were really down on the team coming into this season. Uh, why was that again? And, and uh, kind of what changed over the... Are you surprised they ended up? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm so surprised. I thought they were going to be just one year too old. You know, like um, a lot of the key positions, like Caleros is, what, 35, 36? He's, you know... If Chad Kelly at 29 got rocked, um, Caleros has head injuries. Um, the old line is pretty old. The defense is pretty old. Like, you know, yeah, we got great guys like Jefferson, Jeff Coat, Big Hill. But, you know, I, I just didn't see them doing it for another year. I wasn't sold on our kicker slash punters. There's just a lot of things. You, you were up in the air about how much Lawler would actually play. When you know legal issues came along, which shown take regression, which 
statistics-wise, he maybe did. You know, Dembski's a year older. There was just a lot of factors, and I'm and you know, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I'm not a big fan of Caleros. So you know, there's just a lot, <laughs> just a lot going on with the team. And maybe it, was a, maybe it was a little bit of Mike's, uh, our buddy Mike's reverse psychology. Or if I say they go 7-11 and 11 and then anything better than that, I'm happy um, as a Bomber fan. Because <sighs> now I'm almost double worried for next year. And we got a whole offseason to talk about that. <laughs> because I'm like, th- again, now everybody I just said that I thought was too old this year is going to be even a year older. Um, yeah, I think I think is I I honestly just think I was I was just doing Mike psychological games. I know all the bombers watch our show. Uh, you know I know I know they are all like ah screw that guy we're gonna go and win and you know so that's fine with me. Jokes on you guys! I'm a season ticket member. I th- I think that uh, pretty much one of them definitely watches you and uh, can't wait to tackle you at your next uh, next uh, outing there. Trey. Oh, I see Willie. Oh, he might not be there. He's not going to be back in time. Anyways, um, let's face it. Yeah, I picked for the Bombers second, but who did I pick first again? I'm pretty sure I know uh, for preseason predictions. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. You picked the Calgary St. Peters. Exactly. Where were they? Anyways, uh, and I had the Riders in third, so, you know, I was even stuck. I was really smart. Anyways, um, yeah, no, the Bombers, I thought we were going to be a pretty good team again this year. They're, they're always going to be a good team. You just wonder how much they're going to keep up on the speed because you're right. They are getting a little bit older. Uh, Zach Lewis is another year older. He's got a uh, He's always, again, I always say you got to watch with him because he is one game away from being what Chad Kelly was in that East final, if you're not careful. Uh, that being said, though, they had one of the most dangerous receiving cores I've ever seen in this league. I mean, when you've got a guy like Kenny Lawler and, oh, well, he's kind of expendable. We don't have to run him for six games. And by the way, we're still winning with everybody else. That is a deep, deep a defensive or offensive weaponry. Uh, defensively, I mean, Demario Houston at the beginning of the year was just picking off uh, footballs like, uh, well, I don't even know what to give you an anal- anal- uh, be analytic about it. But nevertheless, he was just picking off footballs like it was no tomorrow. And... Winston Rose was having a good season and uh, Adam Big Hill was Adam Big Hill. Willie Jefferson looked like a man that went yeah. and found the fountain of youth. Uh, you, all the guys I said that weren't going to be good, they were good this year. And I it really clicked when Big Hill did that their uh, goal line stop a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh crap, he's not an investor. He's not a banker or whatever he is. He's still a football player, right? Like, And Jefferson too. I saw someone say, do you think that the defense was just told don't go crazy. And then now, because then, you know, they weren't lighting up the stats all year. And then they were all over Vernon Adams. Right. So you wonder if they went some mind games on that. And, you know, the other thing also with the Bombers that they did this year, they always were resilient. They always came back after a big loss. So, for example, Labor, Labor Day, they lose to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in kind of a heartbreaker in overtime. What do they do? They grab the riders, crush their skull in, and then drag them back to Regina with a what kind of score? I don't even want to. Don't even tell me because I don't want to remember that game. Uh, don't even look. Fifty-one to six was the final score. Sure. I got it right in I front know. of me. Nevertheless, um, yeah, they, but they did that to other teams too. Again, they play. Uh, was it Montreal or was it somebody else? That, no, they lost against Ottawa there, 
And then they went and crushed the skull of whatever team was in there the next week. I think it was Calgary. Yeah, Edmonton and BC back to back. That's what I'm saying. It was one of those teams that if you beat, if you actually happen to beat us, we're going to take our revenge out of the next team that goes down the road. So you know what? They didn't have a great game in the West Final against the BC Lions by any stretch, really. I mean, it's okay, but wasn't like anything really special. The only concern I have now with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All year, they've been very healthy. They've been very well. Uh, not very many injuries. Dalton Schoen, D- Nick Dembski now. Uh, all of a sudden, Adam Big Hill. Uh, there's all sorts of injuries coming on in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at the end of the season. Even Zach Caleros, I don't know if he's 100%, but it's also the end of the year. you got to play through injury. It's the last game of the year. Uh, that being said, boy, it's going to be interesting to see what's on that field on uh, Sunday in Hamilton. Yeah, this team coming into the year, I was the one who ranked them the highest out of the three of us. I had them at first, and and I do see what you were seeing, Trey, about, you know, the team is getting older. We're going to see some regression, like, you know, Stanley Bryant's been the top offensive lineman in the league for for years now, but he's getting up there in age, and we've seen some of that offensive line, you know, slow down a little bit, and some of that defensive line at times slow down a little bit. I think the thing this team does really well and uh, is they've managed to keep the core together throughout this four-year run to the Grey Cup, but they've also brought in the fresh new pieces to to assist with that, whether they've lost guys to other teams, the NFL, you know, just declining play or, you know, age. Uh, they brought in new pieces, especially in the defensive backfield. I'll say this, and this was kind of confirmed in my head uh, in, in the West final, I think I have a new favorite player in the CFL, and it's probably not who you think it is. It's Evan Holm. Evan Holm is a CFL all-star, was a CFL all-star for the Bombers this year. I guess he's, what, a second-year player, so he wasn't a nominee for Rookie of the Year. If he was, I think he would have won the West. Uh, And I would almost make an argument that he should have been the Bombers Defensive Player of the Year nominee because he was – so often in on the plays with with clutch knockdowns, interceptions, huge plays in that West final, and and that's a new piece that wasn't a starter last year, right? So they've had had a number of those guys just step up, step into the roster. Also, I don't know if we really saw this kind of outbreak from Brady Oliveira coming. We want to talk about this team being successful. It's the result of their running back putting up one of the top Canadian running back performances. Of all time. Uh, Didn't he have like 100 in the first half or something stupid? Pretty close. 100 in the first half in the West final. Yeah. Yeah. With the first drive, they got 75 yards and yeah. he had all 75 uh, in that Wild. game. So you want to talk about the, the, the weapons at wide receiver. I mean, nobody in the league had a rushing attack that was close to, to what Oliveira could bring in, in any given game. And, and that really propelled them to the next level. And just prove that, you know, they made the tough, but they made the right decision when they moved on from Andrew Harris to keep Oliveira here. Like, given how little Harris has played with the Argos over the last couple of years, can you imagine if they went the other direction and then Oliveira goes off to, I don't know, somewhere like Ottawa, for example? Uh, you know, that it's decisions like that that have kept the, the team together uh, and I think have made it successful. And we talk about this, you know, four-year run. And the last time I think a run like that happened was Edmonton back in, what, 82 or something like that. It's the first time the same quarterback has gone to four straight Grey Cups. 
Do you guys think it's harder or easier to do that now than it was back in the day? I think I think it's harder because so many guys change teams in the offseason. It's hard to keep the nucleus together like they've done. Especially now with cap era and everything else. I mean, it's almost impossible. You see these teams, uh, and you're right in the last few years. Back then, it was four-year deals, three-year deals. Nowadays, one-year deal, I want my shot at the NFL. Uh, or one-year deal, I'm going to go try to get more money next year. Uh, it, there is not a whole lot of uh, really that time to build a team. And that's why we always say that you can go and do like Montreal just did and bring a team out of almost nowhere and end up competing for a great cup because you get hot and you get a good team together like the Alouettes have, they can end up in the great cup. But Winnipeg's done a beautiful job. And, man, this I'm so sick of hearing the words that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers aren't a dynasty. They, I, I'm a Ryder fan, and I'll admit, they're a dynasty already. If they played in that COVID year when there was no football, they were great cup contenders, no question at all. Would they have kept it together this long? Maybe not. Maybe it still would have been only four years. But to me, five years of very, very solid football where you're the number one team in the West, pretty much on questions, a little bit by BC this year. Uh, you're one of the, you're an amazing team, and you're you, you go to the Great Cup that much. You brought a quarterback from obscurity and probably thought his career was over to being an MVP for what three years. Uh, you've had so many offensive linemen uh, besides Stanley Bryant that have been just absolute all-stars for how many times? This is a dynasty. There's no question about it. And like I said, it's very tough to do it in this time. In these, these times, you got coaches caps, you got salary caps. They got everything against you. And yet, Winnipeg, credit to Kyle Walters. He's done an amazing job of bringing this all together and keeping it going. And the crazy thing is that the storied history of this franchise, there is legitimate talk around this town that Mike O'Shea is the best coach in Bombers history. I have seen some legitimate talk as well that is Zach Claros the best player in Bombers history. And I think there's more competition in that one, but it's hard to deny the success he has had uh, as the quarterback there. Uh, you were saying it's harder in, in this era too, Trey? Oh, million times. Like, and, and, Sal the salary cap is one thing, but the whole debate I always hate the debate between the eras, the whole MJ versus LeBron kind of thing. You, mm. you can't make those comparisons. You can't. Yeah. Gretzky versus McDavid. McDavid would probably kill Gretzky. Was Gretzky one of the greatest of all times? Million percent. But you can't compare them. Um the only thing I can compare the bombers to is like it, in what sport do we actually see the same team make it all the time anymore, minus Tom Brady. You know what I mean? What team do we see make it all the time? It always seems to be different teams in NHL. Always seems to be somewhat different teams in baseball. What does it say? Who who makes it all the time? Do we see these dynasties in sports anymore? We don't. I think I think in the NHL, NHL we've been close. Like the Lightning would have been the most recent okay. one, Chicago yeah. in the 2010 Easy. area. But, but still, but it right. still seems only be two two or three years, and then it kind of disappears, right? Like. There's a debate in the NFL with Kansas City. They've made three out of the four last Super Bowls of one, two, and the only one they've lost was to Tom Brady, right? So it, it's I think that I think you can even if the Bombers lose, you can consider this a modern day dynasty. Would I compare it? Is it fair to compare it to Edmonton in the 80s? No, because it's two different eras, but I think you can say it is now. 
I also don't know if it's fair to compare it to dynasties in other leagues as well, right? Like a 30-team league getting to the finals four straight times is a lot different than a league where you still got six win. of the nine teams make it. You still got to win. You still yeah. got to win, and Bombers didn't make it for 30 years. That's true, yeah. So that's I think I think you can com- completely compare it to different leagues because, sure, hey, half the teams make the, to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, you know, yeah. six out of nine – They'll make it to the CFL playoffs. You know, now in basketball, 20 out of the 30 teams make the playoffs. It's about the same ratio. So, I mean, I think you can almost do it in some sports. Now, we, we've talked a lot about the high points for the Bombers this year. They did have some struggles at times, mostly on the road, right? The the tail of the season for the Bombers this year was they smashed teams at home. Did they... The only game I think they lost at home was that 30-6 to game against BC back in week number three. Uh, luckily, I skipped that one, uh, so maybe that was my fault. Uh, I had another commitment, so I didn't have to sit through that. Uh, but at home, they were just absolutely dominant all the way. But on the road, they struggled, whether it was a low-scoring tight win, whether it was that came in Edmonton where they fell behind 21 points and came back, whether it was, you know, Losing in overtime. They also had their fair share of losing to third string quarterbacks uh, this season, right? It always seems like they're the ones that find a way to kill this team. So, it, you know, strong year for the team uh, once again. They are definitely the, the best of the West, but not a team that didn't have its flaws at times throughout the season, also. Yep. If I yeah, talk about it, it's going to be an hour. So, Adam, you just go and I'll say ditto. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that the Bombers had their faults. I mean, I think they were a lot cleaner than they were last year. Uh, last year, that was a error-filled team that somehow managed to get a lot of victories. I mean, don't get me wrong. Good teams find a way to win. Uh, so, I agree with that. But uh, this year, yeah, they were, pretty, they were a little cleaner. You're right on the road. And for, with third-string quarterbacks, they had trouble for some reason. I don't get that one because, yeah, uh, Dustin Crum comes in, they lose. Uh, Jake Dolagala comes in, they lost. Taylor Powell. Uh, Jake, Yeah, Taylor Powell, they lost. I mean, it was – Cameron Dukes, backup, but they almost lost. Almost lost that one. As I said, so unless Cody Fajardo and uh, Caleb Evans gets hurt and the third string comes in, Winnipeg, you may have a chance. Oh, Davis Alexander, Grey Cup yep. MVP. <laughs> exactly. I wonder what the betting line is on that one. Trey. <laughs> yeah, that, that's got that's got to be a high high betting line there for sure. Um, yeah, this is a team up and down season, but you're right. More than uh, more than last year, the games they won for the most part, they won handily, and they won. You know, it wasn't a sloppy get it done at least at home but uh nonetheless they managed to win the games they needed to as well to find their way into the gray cup to face the montreal alouettes let's get into talking about the matchup itself uh the first time in the history of the league we're talking about gray cup 110 this is the first time ever the bombers have faced the alouettes in the gray cup uh most likely due to them being in the same division for many years and that not being possible uh not being around 
and that as well. But uh, kind of cool to get this matchup for the first time ever. I know we talked about ideal matchups a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I forget where does this one rank for you guys? I think I, I mean, put it I, up there. I, my bet. I think I just put it up there because it's my team versus the team I bet on. <laughs> but I can't remember. Honestly, I like it, but I mean, I predicted it also because I wanted to see maximum chaos. So, namely, in a yeah, if there's gonna be one, if there's one quarterback that deserves to beat Winnipeg, it's gonna be Fajardo, right? You know, like. So. I wonder what the prop bet is on him hitting it upright. I really would love to see that. Oh, let's see. There's got to be one on Fanduel. Nope, not right now. The ball's With dead if it hits the upright, right? On a pass, I think it is. Because otherwise, could you imagine if, like, the heroic effort he he pings it off the off the upright oh. into the receiver's hands to win? That hail mary like Adams did, but off the upright, that would be wild. <laughs> oh. Maybe they'll win on a kick off the upright or something like that. Uh, yeah, the, so the Bombers open this game as eight and a half point favorites. Uh, not quite the, the amount Toronto had over them. The over under is 47 and a half. We'll get into picks uh, and predictions later on, and we'll do our uh, positional matchup breakdown here as well. But outside of what we've discussed of these two teams on their way, you know, th- their seasons to get them here. Uh, what to you guys are the big storylines of this matchup itself? Uh, what what catches your eye, Adam? Well, I mean, I'm in the province where they're looking at only one thing and one thing alone. It is that Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss, uh, both are in the Grey Cup. They're looking at Zach Kalaros in the Grey Cup. They're looking at Nick Dembski in the Grey Cup. They're looking at Patrick Newfeld in the Grey Cup. They're looking at a few others in the Grey Cup. Jake Hardy's in the Grey Cup. Oh, and by the way, these are all guys that Jeremy O'Day got rid of. That's what Saskatchewan's looking at right now with green-tinted envy in all their faces. Probably bitter, not not a bit bitter, I'm sure. Uh, Thinking this should have been us. This should have been us. And yeah, no, it wasn't. So, you know what? Honestly, that's the biggest storyline in Saskatchewan. I'll tell you that much right now. Uh, they're going to be talking about if Fajardo wins a great cup. They won't even mention Montreal. They'll literally say Cody Fajardo won a great cup if if it happens. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty much what I think. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think Saskatchewan might actually be cheering a little bit for Montreal because the, ser- uh, the saying ABW has been going around a lot lately in Saskatchewan, from what I've heard, anybody but Winnipeg. So... Yeah, it's a divided province at the moment. Uh, Trey, what's the storyline in Winnipeg? I don't know about Winnipeg, because Winnipeg seems to have the parade planned already, but I'm going to say a couple of reasons why I wouldn't do it right now. So either of you guys, a little Q&A here, a little trivia night. Over the last 10 Grey Cups, what do you think the record is for the team that has the better record? Three and seven. Uh, okay, you're right. They're five and five, but okay. still not as what you think it should be, right? You would think that the team with the better record should win, and actually, uh, the better team has scored 265 points versus the other team 258, making an average of 26 and a half points versus 25.8 points. So you can throw that eight and a half line out because it means absolutely nothing in the Grey Cup, right? These teams are zero and zero, 
it doesn't matter. We've had an eight, nine, and one team beat a 15, two, and one team. We've had a nine and nine team beat a 13, four, and one team over the last few years. We've had the Bombers at 17 and or sorry, 11 and seven win. I think the thing to nine and nine Toronto beat Calgary a couple times actually. I think yeah, you could with Calgary them. didn't choke all the time in the that, great That's fair, but you know, <laughs> Winnipeg did once, Hamilton did once, Calgary yeah. a couple times. Um, you know, it this game it doesn't matter. You know, and the the one beautiful thing about the game when six teams make it, you do get a nine and nine team, you do get a you know ten and eight team who in other leagues and other sports wouldn't deserve to be here, right? So I think we got to throw all that out. Um, historically, Montreal 11, or sorry, 7 for 11 in Grey Cups, Winnipeg 12 and 15. So percentage-wise, they're about the same. They've never met like we've talked about. And one fact, too, we, I like, I'm going to, I never do this, but I'm going to take something Mike says, and I'm going to use it for my benefit. He says it's really tough to beat the same team, what, three or four times in a season? And I know, Ryan, you don't agree with that. But Cody Fajardo is 0-9 against Zach Kalaros. There's no way he's losing a 10. There's <laughs> no way he's losing a 10. He he that I 100% Cody Fajardo got the dartboard with Zach Kalaros' face in the middle. It's gotta be. Um and, and that's kind of what I'm looking at is everything that Montreal did right last week, where we were saying, oh, everything has to go right for Montreal, they gotta they gotta let it ride and hopefully they can do it again. I don't think he should have Coleros on the dartboard because he has Coleros to thank for him being a starting quarterback in the CFL right now. If Coleros doesn't go down, Fajardo never gets that chance to start in Saskatchewan and eventually go over to Montreal and, and play in the Grey Cup, right? So maybe Fajardo would have had his the Coleros career in Winnipeg. You never know. Ben. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're getting into multiverse crap now, man. Save it for the offseason, the CFL multiverse. Either that or, um, you know, Fajardo doesn't have maybe in his targets, uh, Calaros, but he probably has him between the two uprights. <laughs> Hasn't hit him yet. Oh. Uh, There's going to be a close one. There's going to be one where it just, they'll even photo review it to see if it hit or something. <laughs> Yeah, talking about the season series between these teams uh, and, you know, tough to beat the same team multiple times. Uh, two games between them. Uh, the Bombers won on July 1st, 17-3. I think it was a very bad weather game, that one as well, in Montreal. There was big rain delay on that one. Uh, and then uh, back on August 24th, uh, the Bombers beating the Alouettes 47-17. I believe that one started off with two Alouettes defensive touchdowns. Uh, early in that game, and then they go over, and then the Bombers just uh, got it under control and, and put the points on the board uh, in that one there. The big story for me, you know, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned the the, the struggles of the top team in, in the CFL, or, or the favorites in the Grey Cup over the last number of years, because it's really... On the Winnipeg side, it's what version are we getting of this team in the Grey Cup? Are we getting the 2019 Grey Cup performance where they throttled the Ticats? Or are we getting, you know, 2021, they didn't look good at times in that one. And then they came back and it was a weird game with so much wind going on there. Uh, 2022 Grey Cup, you know, not the best performance. And it comes down to the wire against the Argos in that one. So, you know, they, they've had up and down so far in the Grey Cups. So what version are we going to see in this game? Because Winnipeg as a team, I think if they're on their game, like 
it's going to be tough for Montreal to beat them. It was tough to beat Toronto as well, to be fair. But if, if they're not on their game, well, then Montreal's a team that's proven they can take advantage of somebody not being on their game. So I, I think, to me, the biggest X factor in this game is what version of Winnipeg shows up. Right? Yeah, so, I, so. yeah I agree. I mean, if you get a Winnipeg Blue Bomber team that can run all over the football field... Brady Oliveira has done that, but he's got a little bit more of a challenge this week. Again, uh, Sean Lemon's there now, and Darnell Sankey they can bring in to plug some holes. This isn't going to be a very easy cha- easy for Brady Oliveira to try to bust some holes open. That offensive line needs to give him some help, and uh, we're going to have to go and see what happens here. Uh, but that's probably the biggest thing I'm looking at in this, to see what Winnipeg team shows up. If it's the Winnipeg team that can... Break hold for Brady Oliveira. It should be a fairly straightforward victory for the Bombers. So what does each team need to do to win this game? We talked about it a little last week in those matchups, more so from the standpoint of the underdog. But for both teams in this matchup, what what's the main thing they need to do in this one? Uh, what do you think, Trey? Uh, for Toronto, oh, sorry, for Winnipeg, um... I mean, yeah, same thing. I think I said last week. You gotta, you just gotta ride Oliveira, and you can't force it to be a game where, you know, the, I'm looking at the weather real quick. It says high of six, so it's not exactly going to be a cold one on, um, you know, in southern Ontario. But you know, you still don't want to rely on the passing game in mid-November, right? And and we, we've seen what Claros can do in November games. How many picks did he throw to Saskatchewan? I'm still never going to forget that, right? And 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 um, you know, if it turns into one of those games where you need to throw points, you know, you, you can't. I don't think you can rely on Caleros to always do that all the time anymore. And for Montreal, they got to do something to counteract it because we all were talking about BC either need a run game or need to out throw, like to throw enough to be the equal to it. And I think that's what Montreal needs to do. They either need to get stand back and say, they better stand back better be eating Wheaties every day and you know running the ball down the throats, get Phil Pot involved, get you know, get everyone involved in that offense. And yeah, you know, we've said it's either gonna probably be a month Winnipeg blowout or it's gonna be close, right? And if Oliver is marching down the field, putting up six or getting field goals for the bombers all the time, Montreal's gotta do something back, right? And and keep it up, Adam. Yeah, well, I said before about Brady Oliveira needs to have a good game and the Bombers need to push open holes on a very strong Montreal defense. I think on the other side of the football, you, you nailed it on the head, Trey. Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot out of William Stanback yet this uh, playoff, and we need to see more out of him if the Montreal Alouettes are going to have any real success. Uh, they can be ball hawks, and uh, Zach Kalaros knows about this. The first, uh, second game that you mentioned there, Trey, or, uh, Ryan, they, uh, I think Kalaros threw two straight interceptions, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if something kicked in upstairs or what happened, uh, but all of a sudden he was perfect, and maybe it was just because he was making short plays over to Schoen or to uh, anybody on that. It was Wallet to Wallakarski or to whoever on Winnipeg side. All of a sudden, everything was working. So they need to rely on the short ball. I think Winnipeg let, let it's one of those things where you let uh, get take whatever Montreal is going to give you. Uh, and if I'm Winnipeg, I'd be a little bit more aggressive also on the defensive side of the football. Uh, you look at uh, Richie Hall's defense, it's mostly bend, don't break. Trey just loves it, I know. 
Uh, but if I was Richie Hall, send Willie and Jeff or, or Jeff Code on for a run. See what happens and see if you can get some real pressure on Fajardo. Fajardo doesn't really work great under pressure. He's not as mobile as he quite used to be at one time when he was in Saskatchewan. So I think you have an opportunity there. Get Fajardo frustrated. Get Moss smashing the uh, Gatorade jugs and get some pressure on Fajardo. Yeah, I, if you can put up 10 sacks on VA in that Lions uh, offensive line last week, like do whatever you did uh, to Montreal, who struggled to keep Fajardo upright this year because he's going to force those errors if that happens. Um, you know, for Winnipeg, uh, the biggest key to me is play smart football, hold on to the ball. Zach Kolaros didn't light it up last week. Uh, he put up 158 passing yards, 14 of 21. But he had zero turnovers, and that was the biggest key. He played smart football offensively in that game. And I even saw him slide feet first uh, on a play instead of trying to dive for extra yardage or instead of trying to, you know, throw the ball into coverage there, which is something he he struggles with sometimes when the pressure's on him. So uh, I, I think play that smart football, take Montreal's defensive uh, turnovers out of it, is going to be the biggest key. And like we've all said, leaning on Oliveira is a whole large part of that because as good as Montreal's pass defense is, uh, their rushing defense isn't uh, as good. Uh, I think you can exploit them a little bit using Oliveira, Dembski, Rashid Bailey, etc., mixing them all into the run game there. This is the biggest key on the Winnipeg side. On the Montreal side, I think the biggest key here, and I said this earlier this week, and I'm going to stand by this, I think Montreal needs their defense or special teams to score at least one touchdown in this game to keep them in it. I, I think this is a team that offensively this year just has not done anything exciting. Even despite the nine turnovers last week, they put up, what, uh, 197 yards of offense only uh, and two offensive touchdowns against the Argos' terrible pass defense. Uh, the offense has to be better. It has to get something going in that game where the defense is going to need to step up and like they have all year long and, and score some points like they did in that second matchup against Winnipeg, I think the biggest key there. So let's get into the positional matchup breakdowns here quickly. Uh, we'll start off on the offensive side of the ball. Um, who wants to go first here? Uh, who do you give the edge to on offense? I think you know what direction I'm leading, but uh, Trey? Oh, Winnipeg. Um, I think, yeah, well, I have to give it to Winnipeg because I, I hate to say it, but Calaris is a little bit better of a quarterback. Uh, they got a little better receiving core, which I don't hate to say that. The receiving core in Winnipeg is better. It, it's, yeah, I got to give Winnipeg Adam. Can we record that little bit there for the segment for the uh, uh, episode when we go and do the uh the old uh, breakaways. That way there we can have uh, Trey going and say Kalaros is better. Oh, yeah. Anyways. The, by the end of your recap episode is having like a five-minute montage of all of Trey's thoughts on Zach Kalaros throughout that, the season. That, that, and then when I admit it, home field matters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That clip's going in there for sure. I, I just actually just saw that. Got to find the pizza episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just thinking about that, so I'm glad we brought up this episode. But anyway, yeah. Continue. That reminded me. That reminded me. You've never cashed in on your uh, conditional uh, from yeah. our fantasy football trade yet this year. I, I never forget. All right, it's, it's still yeah. valid at any point. Uh, anyways, Adam, what about you for offense? Offense, I've got to give it to the Bombers. I mean, they've got the better offensive line. They've got the better running back right now in Willie are in uh, Brady Oliveira. And that hurts for me because I usually don't like picking Brady Oliveira. But you had Greg McRae as one of your top running backs in the CFL preseason. Darn right, and I'll stick to it. Anyways, Oliveira didn't make the list. No, Oliveira did. Uh, nevertheless, he, he saves dogs, man. He saves stray dogs. <laughs> you know, like I feel Just like don't... my girlfriend knows him. He she, he pops up on her Instagram. Like he's everywhere, man. He's like. Kudos to the saving dog part, but uh, Greg McRae, if they could play in American, I still say Greg McRae would be a better running back. Anyways, I'm just being evil now when the guy's like probably going to win the MOP this year week. Anyways, uh, no, they got the better offensive line. They got the better running backs. They got the better quarterback, I think, right now. And questionable on the receivers now because of the injuries. I'll say probably maybe Montreal. Montreal's maybe a little better on the receiving court just because they're like not as banged up. Uh but gee, that was a deep receiving quarter, also. So I'm gonna edge to Winnipeg for sure. Yeah, I gotta give the edge to Winnipeg. They've been top, they're basically top two in almost every offensive category, whereas Montreal, you know, offensive touchdowns, ninth in the league, seventh in the league offensive points, sixth in net offense, seventh in first downs, uh, fifth in rushing yards, sixth in passing yards. So, you know, bottom half of the league in every offensive category. And that's why I make that statement I made earlier that their defense has to, you know, put some points on the board because the offense just hasn't been exciting all year long. They've got the pieces. They just don't connect. And even if they're moving the ball down the field, they're not putting the ball in the end zone as much as they should. So I advantage Winnipeg on offense here. Here's an interesting one, though. The defensive side of the ball, uh, what do we think about uh, the matchup there, Adam? I'm going to go and Matt advantage Montreal. Uh, the defensive line, I think, with two guys in there, uh, I think they give a little more. Uh, I'll say actually Winnipeg on defensive line gets the advantage because you got two guys who can really get after the quarterback. Uh, and uh, But then the defensive secondary and then the linebacking core, Darnell Sankey is a beast. Uh, that guy there is dangerous anytime you're after it. Sean Lemon, I know he's in the line, but he's still dangerous as well. Uh, and Montreal can pick off footballs and run them back. They're athletes. Uh, I think that probably that way I'll say the secondary is probably a little better than Winnipeg's. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Montreal for the advantage on this one. Trey? Oh, double down, Montreal. You know, got to give it to Montreal. If I see one wide-open pass with the Blue Bombers defense, I'm going to throw up again. Like it, I, I think – and you make a valid point. You know, football – Sometimes time off isn't the end of the world. Sankey's played a lot between the XFL and stuff, but he's also only played seven, eight games this season. He's not as banged up, right? Sean Lemon didn't play as much, right? You know, these guys had some later starts, and it could be a lot of health, too. There was a lot of injuries on that Blue Bomber defense, too. It looked like Jeff Coat and Big Hill were kind of limited. A couple other guys I thought I saw, right? So I think Montreal might be winning the health game right now, and that's a, a little part of why I lean towards them. Yeah, I looked at the injury report earlier. Uh, everybody on Montreal is a full participant in practice, whereas Winnipeg, you know, Big Hill, Shown, et cetera, 
uh, did not practice. And uh, I don't know whether Big Hill will play. It wouldn't surprise me if he plays. But how effective is he going to be after it looked like, what, an ACL injury or something like that? Uh, it, it looked bad uh, when he got injured uh, in the West final. I think this is close. These are two of the best defenses in the CFL. And it actually surprises me to look at the stats and see the Bombers gave up the least points uh, to opponents this season. They averaged offenses averaged 18.2 points against them. They gave up 35 uh, touch, 27 offensive touchdowns on the season uh, in an 18 game seasons. Not bad. That's like one and a half touchdowns offenses were putting up on them a game. I will give the slight nod to Montreal, especially with Big Hill uh, being injured, because I think he's a huge force in the middle of that defense. Uh, but I think this is a very close matchup on the D uh, side of it. Special teams-wise, uh, I'll, I'll go first on this one. I Special teams is hard, because I give the edge to Winnipeg in the kicking game, because Sergio Castillo has been pretty good all season long. Uh, I know we hit the upright this past week, but uh, you know this is a guy that should have been the Grey Cup MVP in 2021, and I feel like he got robbed of that. Um, but I think he's the better kicker. That being said, in the return game, uh, Janarian Grant has struggled maybe a little since returning from injury to break a big one. And James Letcher Jr. has three return touchdowns in his last four games for the Alouettes since taking over that role. So we're going to talk about alternative points to offenses, putting them on the board. They can get a return touchdown, especially early in the game. That can very well turn the tide in Montreal's favor here. Uh, Adam, what do you think? It's a kind of almost a tie for me, although it does uh, change a little bit when you look at the field goals percentages. Sergio Castillo was 90%. David Cote was 75 That's a pretty big sign that you should pick the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, Janarian Grant, I think, is probably the better return because right now Chandler Worthy is still injured, I believe, for the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, so I think that probably that's still also an advantage for Winnipeg. Uh, that being said, the special teams, Mike O'Shea always has some weird things going on, but Montreal also has just one entry with the one yard, uh, onside kick. So that should be a prop. I feel like that should be a prop at that time, be, right? Yeah. Like, like does, does the onside punt happen? Oh, without a doubt. That has to be a, that has to be one, but I'm going to probably go advantage Winnipeg in this one. I don't really like to, but. I think that probably they got the better return game right now. They have the better kick game. Uh, I don't know if they have the better uh, uh, punt game, but punting is one thing that I think you could probably look over if the other two are good. Trey? Uh, <clears throat> give me Montreal. I know the kicking is not as great, and I, I, I can see that, but, um, you know, yeah, 90 to 70 is a, or 75 is a big drop-off, but – 90 ain't no Hall of Fame season either. And the kick return game, I, I mean, I know he's been hurt, but I haven't been impressed with the Blue Bombers return game for most of the year. And even when Janarian Grant returned, it still seemed like it, 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 it kind of comes back to what Ryan said earlier. Which which version are we going to get? If we're going to get the Janarian Grant, you know, from last year or the couple of years before who can return it at, at, at will, sure, he's probably better. But I, I think Montreal, I, I'm going to go with Montreal. Is that, is that is that is that Mike's burner account? The MBHA ball hockey. That's got to be Mike's burner account, isn't it? Like, 
Absolutely. <laughs> well, welcome into the chat, whether you're Mike or not. Uh, we got a couple of folks in the chat here tonight. Uh, good to see you. Uh, we've been reading the comments as we go along. Yeah, the 13th, one from Andre here as well, the 13th Grey Cup for Winnipeg after a 13-year absence at the Grey Cup for Montreal. So uh, a bit poetic uh, there. And uh, 13, mean, 13 means it's your yeah. turn to go and get a uh, field goal against you at the last yeah. second, Montreal. Yeah. I'm and sorry. 13 happens to be Adam's favorite number, so uh, it all lines up. Uh, all right, coaching. Uh, uh, let's talk coaching here. Uh, which team do you give the edge to? Uh, the long-term uh, coach uh, in Mike O'Shea or first-year head coach over in Montreal in Jason Maz and the units there? Adam, what do you think uh, coaching-wise? Do it. If I was, if I was uh, coaching the uh, Gatorade uh, jugs and uh, how to break them, Jason Moss is a hands-down winner. Uh, I don't know. I never was a fan of Jason Moss's uh, offensive schemes. Uh, that being said, Mike O'Shea is pretty much a legend now. Honestly, I would almost debate him to be one of the best for coaches in the league ever. He's he's a very good coach, and I hate to say it, but he he is. I mean, honestly, there hasn't been very many coaches quite like him. I mean, maybe uh, Matthews back in the day, maybe Wally. That's pretty much he's in elite company at this point. So coaching, without a doubt, this one's Mike O'Shea's. So Winnipeg. Right? Yeah, I go to Osh. I, I can't. I can't even lie and do a do a character and give it to Jason Moss. It's Osh. I, 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 to me, you know, we we're talking about before. I know I didn't grow up in the Bud Grant era and some of those other coaches, but you know, he's almost he's catching up in wins. He's catching up in almost everything. You got You can't imagine there's been many coaches to go four straight Great Cups either in a hundred and ten year history, right? So he's got to be up there. Is a comment? Uh, first of all, I'm going. Uh, I'm going Winnipeg as well. Mike O'Shea uh, there as well. Though Montreal does have some good coaches. Like I said, uh, I do really like uh, what uh, Noel Thorpe has done this year. There's a question in the chat about uh, taking Montreal's return game over Winnipeg's. Yes, Janarian Grant is a stud, but also James Letcher Jr. I mean, three return touchdowns in four games. Definitely the hot hand. Uh, right now, and uh, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he actually returned one for a touchdown in this game. All right, we've gone through the storylines, we've gone through the journeys to get to this game, we've talked about the positional matchups, how these teams are going to win the game. Now, the question is, who are we picking to win? Let's get to our Grey Cup picks money line against the spread, the over under. Uh, let me put the odds back up on the screen here on the video podcast. Bombers minus eight and a half. Over under is 47 and a half. Resident betting expert Trey for the final time this year. What are you taking? I think you have to take the plus eight and a half with Montreal. Even if you think Winnipeg's going to win this game, I think there's too many injuries on Winnipeg. I think, you know, Grey Cups have relatively been closer historically um yeah i'm taking montreal plus eight and a half and you know I, i'm i'm getting vibes of the 20 this game's going to turn out like the 2019 west final almost and it's going to be a touchdown-ish kind of game it's going to come down i know we've been joking about the uprights but it's going to come down to like a situation like that Pajardo always seems to play the bombers that way yes he's 0-9 against them but he has put or it's caleros anyway 
by a lot of games, he's put the fear of God into them until the last second. Over under 47 and a half. That's a plus six day. Let's go over for now, and I'll likely switch that once I find out it's going to snow. Adam, what do you got, man? Well, first of all, if there was any sign that uh, NBA, NBA day ball hockey is uh, not Mike, I mean, you know, 42 to 13 for the Bombers, eh? So, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'm now having to put a two-year – Two years in a row now, I haven't made a wrong prediction in a uh, playoff game. So this one here is going to be a kind of a big one for me. I'm going to go and I'm going to take the Montreal Alouettes in this one, plus eight and a half. I'm taking an outright win as well uh, because, you know what, He uh, momentum's a finicky thing. Winnipeg looked good. They had a big defensive game against the BC Lions last week. Uh Brady Oliver did run the football. That being said, the weapons aren't there like they used to be for the Bombers. Adam Big Hill is, I'll say, 50-50 probably to play. I would think great guys from what you're hearing. Probably, maybe. I could see it going either way, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, probably Nick Dembski, I would think, would be the same thing. I don't see Dembski really missing. And I'll say more 75-25, he does play. Uh, Dalton Schoen, I say, is out. I don't see nothing coming to that. So... The Bombers are banged up pretty badly, which they've never dealt with injury really all season. Uh, the Montreal Alouettes are a little bit healthier. They just had a huge win over a team that they couldn't beat all season that they just beat. They've got to beat another one, which is tough, and it's going to be a loud crowd. I think Montreal is going to be probably a little bit more loved by the Hamilton faithful because, you know, it's not Winnipeg. Uh, that being said... Yeah, it's good. to me, it's Montreal Alouettes. They're going to win this one outright. The game is probably going to be a close one. I don't think this, this is going to be a defensive battle uh, if Montreal is going to win it. So that means unless they all of a sudden get 30 points on defense, I don't see this making over 47 and a half. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking right now. Give me the Alouettes and 47 and a half uh, under. Well, before I give my pick, uh, in case you're wondering what Mike, our good co-host Michael Garrell, who couldn't be here tonight, uh, is taking, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Because four days ago, he texted me and said that the Bombers are going to win this by a blowout. But when he couldn't make it tonight, he said, by the way, my pick is Montreal to win outright. So uh, I have no idea. Uh, ask him when kickoff starts on Sunday, because it'll probably change five times before then. I am going to do it. I am taking the Bombers to win and cover the spread of eight and a half in this game. You know, I'm starting to look at it of like, I, I, I've said this, I think this game goes two possible different ways. If Montreal, if Montreal's going to win this, it's going to be a tight, low-scoring game because their defense has managed to completely shut Winnipeg down and they've maybe gotten defensive touchdown or two. If Winnipeg plays Winnipeg football, I think they run the ball down the outlet's throat, but I don't think Montreal's offense can put a ton up on the board. So I think, you know, if Winnipeg wins, they're probably covering that spread. And I think Winnipeg's going to be ready to play. I think they came out firing that West final really well. I think I think they get it done this week. So I'm going to take the Bombers to cover the eight and a half points. 47 and a half line is interesting because, you know, I think Bombers are going to fire well, but then Montreal's not putting a ton of points on the board. That could still hit the under. 
I think I would bet the under here because if my prediction of the Bombers running away with this is wrong, I think Montreal, it's, it's a greater chance either I'm my prediction's right and they still hit the under or I'm wrong and probably hit the under. So I would take the greater chance on that. Uh, but I'm taking the Bombers to throttle the Montreal Alouettes in this Grey Cup matchup because... Defense forced nine turnovers, scored as many points as they did last week against Toronto. They're really good defense, but I don't know if they can do that two weeks in a row. You want to give some score predictions since we have some in the comments? Oh, I'm never good at these score predictions. It's great cup, though. You got to do it. I'm sure sure someone's going to have the fundraising tickets where you got the scores and stuff, so we got to do it. Give me like 27-15 Bombers. Yeah, write these down. Winnipeg, that's Ryan. Adam, you took Montreal to outright win, correct? So what you got? Yeah, 28-27 Montreal. Ooh. Anybody want to look up that score? You'll know why. <laughs> Does it involve the number 13, your favorite number? It might involve Glenn Johnson, that's right. <laughs> I just said Montreal plus eight and a half. I didn't say yet who I think is going to win, though. Oh, um, do we want to keep that as uh, tune in next week to find out? No, just kidding. Yeah, tune in next week. I'll tell you Sunday after. Yeah, after tell you Sunday after. Um, um, I think it's going to be 31-27, which gives me the over. Right? Yeah, it gives me the over. Four. Let me see. Can you, can we see, can you see it? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, how do I slowly out? There, there we go. go. There we go. For the Alouette, the Alouette. Here we go. Big Montreal. All right. So oh, and, and, and Mike, 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 Mike has what three picks? He took Winnipeg the blowout, and then Montreal, <laughs> and then Montreal to win out. Right. Mike, I did not get score predictions from Mike, but uh, and then the sec- and then the second one uh, or the third one is that the referees win. That way he's got all well, Andre, Pru- Andre Pru's not out there, so the referees lose. <laughs> yeah. 100%. How is Andre Pruel not out there for a Montreal game? How not? He should Who's just be the great cup guy. Don't see him all year. Great cup. And yeah, Labor Day. That's yeah. it. Labor Day badgeable, great yeah. cup. Yeah, and once he retires, can we at least bring him back for the big games, please? Yeah. Uh, I think that's the way to do it. Who is the referee uh, this year? Did they have a doubt? Uh, I just saw the guy's name. It was a three-down article. Um, Tim Croker, maybe? Tim Croker, yeah, that was the yeah. one. Yeah. Or Saskatchewan referee to manage the quarterbacks formerly from Saskatchewan. It's perfect. Um, did we – were there any other fun prop bets you wanted to quickly talk uh, about, Trey? Or did you find the only thing I can find on FanDuel is the normal passing yards spreads. Stuff like that. So, you know, maybe we'll leave that to the Discord. We'll I'll throw some things up over the next few days and we, maybe join the Discord if you want to turn into a degenerate like me. So there you go. But don't bet the farm. That's it. Yeah, only bet the bet ant farm. farm. Only the ant farm. Oh, remind me to put that in the clip show at the end of the year. The origin of us deciding <laughs> discussing how much an ant farm costs and whether <laughs> how you can bet those. All the, the memories. The pizza, the ant farm. 
All right. Uh, can you send me a list in the Discord Be chat of these so I don't forget? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be good. Be going and telling uh, Frank Hickson got 75 yards when he didn't play. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, write that one down, too. Um, I'll find them. I'll find clips for them all. Uh, but let's get in. Now that we've given our predictions for the final time this year, Wow, I can't believe we're here. Uh, end of the season. It's been a great season here so far, and we will be back on Sunday night after the game to uh, recap it all. Stay tuned on social media and the, or in the Discord community. We'll put the exact kind of time we're aiming to go live. I think Mike was aiming for. Uh, this was his idea. Uh, we did Grey Cup post-game show last year, and it went pretty well. I think we're thinking around 10 p.m., uh, that would be 10 p.m. Central time, uh, I believe. Uh, but we will let you know on the social medias. Uh, and you'll get the notification if you subscribe on the YouTube channel as well that we are going live with that. It'll be on the podcast feeds the next morning as well. Uh, so look forward to that. Also, our season wrap-up show uh, coming out Wednesday night. And then that off-season content starts. So uh, if you have suggestions for teams we should take over uh, with Madden, we may even relocate them to Canada uh, for our off-season <laughs> content. Uh, look, there, uh, look forward to a, that. There's a choice. You can rename a team the Lumberjacks. I feel like you almost have to do that. Yeah, can we better. rename them the Rough Riders? Come on. You no, want to be the Rough Riders? I, they only have certain options. Uh Lumberjacks, there's elks, surprisingly enough. Oh, like, well, then we can. Yeah. What should we? Okay. First episode, we all show up in black turtlenecks, uh, Chris Jones style, and take over <laughs> and move the team to be the elks. There we go. I think That's the elk, it. either the elk, there's, one, there's like the antlers and the elks. I think there's two. I got to double check. Yeah. So subscribe on the YouTube channel to stay tuned for all the offseason content around that as well. Uh, and we'll talk CFL here and there throughout the uh, early offseason and then probably ramp it up around free agency also. Uh, in the meantime, check out the Discord community link in the episode description. If you want to follow us on social media as well, you can do that. You can find us on Twitter or the old x.com at CF Countdown Pod. Also, Facebook.com slash CF Countdown Pod uh, to follow us there. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter at Cooper Trooper 42. Probably won't bring you much value to do so because I don't really tweet, uh, but you can find me there. Uh, you can see a picture of my cat. Uh, I think I have on there if that interests you. Um, you can find Mike at Mike Garrell again. Hopefully, we'll have him back for the wrap up show or the Great Cup recap on Sunday. Uh, Trey, what's all going on for you these days, and uh, where can people find it? Uh, not a heck of a lot. You can find me at the X at Trey Harness Link. Uh, real quick, it's not a bet, but we have to do it. What's the first halftime song, Adam? Oh, it's Green Day, American Idiot. Yeah. That was that was that was gonna be my guess as well, because it's the first Green Day song that came to head, to my mind. So I, I can guarantee you the last song too, Trey, if you want. What's that? Time of your life. Okay. I'm gonna go. They're gonna start off with Boulevard of Broken Dream. Oh, that okay, that would be a good one. They're gonna it's gonna start off slow and they'll do that, get everyone hyped, and then no, we don't want to get kicked off YouTube. But anyway, anyway, uh X Trey Harness Link. Adam, man, where can people find you? Well, you can probably find me in a hockey rink somewhere in the middle of Saskatchewan sometime. 
Uh, hockey season starts this weekend. Big game here. Uh, Friday night, we play up in the land of the Great White North, known as Priestville, and then head down back home to open up the home barn and the home pasture up against the Rokenville Tigers. So uh, in a finals rematch, so that'll be fun. I'm uh, going to have the player intros. We'll introduce the new banner. we got to go do like Vegas. Go and have the little slot machine there and try to see if it'll print off the banner for us. I'm kidding. You ain't doing that. But nevertheless, you can find me at Adam Stewart one if you want to know what the buffs, how the, how the uh, Buffaloes are doing, because I know this is the official unofficial podcast of the Buffaloes. Uh, so, yeah, you can follow me on that. And, of course, I'll be watching the Grey Cup. Uh, be sure to join me over on Discord with the rest of the guys uh, watching that one as well. Yeah, as the official unofficial Canadian football podcast of the Theodore Buffaloes, you're you're flying us out for the banner raising, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, we're sending class. the bus. Well, we can't afford private a jet. Plane. No, we can't afford a private jet or a plane like some of these other senior teams around here can. But uh, maybe we'll we'll send the bus out. No, well, Greyhound doesn't run no more. I thought. Yeah, mainly because of Manitobans. <laughs> Or let's not get into that. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that one. <laughs> I'll switch up my vote on the Green Day song, by the way. I'll go with Know Your Enemy being the uh, the first song played uh, by Green Day there. Just so I don't copy Adam on it. Uh, make sure also you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter. You can find all of those there. Everybody's wrapping up their seasons. Lots of great content uh, across all the other shows. Uh, and whatever podcast platform you listen to ours on, uh, we appreciate if you do all the fun things such as like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. We always appreciate that. On behalf of our panel here this evening, Trey and Adam, I'm Ryan saying enjoy Grey Cup 110. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you after the game on Sunday. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.